Welcome to Hypnotic History, the podcast about 20th century life in the United States. I'm Ashley. I'm Wendy. And I'm Logan. And today we're talking about the Tom and Jerry cocktail. So have either of you ever heard of or had a Tom and Jerry? So I looked this up when you said we were going to do this because I had no idea. I thought we were talking about the cartoon and saw that it was a a drink. Mm -hmm. And no, I have not. That's not in my forte. So I'm only I only knew about it because we had saw all those glasses Mm -hmm. marked Tom and Jerry when we hit the antique thrifting vintage stores. Yeah, oh, that's cool. And we all thought that they were just like, yeah, really big into the cartoon. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, because if you go to antique stores, at some point you will find a Tom and Jerry drink set. And we'll talk a little bit more about that. Um, But it's just like a punch bowl and glasses that say Tom and Jerry with no context (laughs) at all. And that's where I first heard about it. But no, I've never had one either. So what is a Tom and Jerry? Uh, There are multiple recipe is a drink. Um, There are multiple recipes for a Tom and Jerry, but... Basically, you take a bunch of eggs, you separate the yolks from the whites, and then you fluff up, you whisk the whites into sort of a a meringue type thing uh, and mix sugar into it. And once you've done that, you add the yolks back in along with spices. Um, And the spices can vary too, but what I see a lot of is uh, clove, allspice, and cinnamon. And that is what's called your batter. So that is Tom and Jerry batter. And to the batter, you can add things. Um, You can add milk or water and rum or brandy. Uh, I have heard that brandy is a little more common, and that might just be because it's very popular in the Midwest even today, and apparently they like brandy more than rum. Um, But you can kind of choose what to put in your batter. So it might be, uh, you know, a brandy drink so it's a literal cocktail um or if you're like wendy and you don't drink uh so wendy you can have them too oh. you can make it non-alcoholic by just adding warm milk or warm water well it sounds like it sounds good with all the stuff that's going in it with the the spices mm-hmm. it sounds very christmasy yeah it's a very christmasy drink the one thing i don't understand is uh, unlike eggnog it is served hot and yeah. i don't know how you do that without cooking the egg yeah, it's giving me an eggnog, you know, feel with the ingredients. Mm-hmm. But like you said, if it's hot, how do you keep it from yeah turning into scrambled eggs? I read one recipe that suggested putting cornstarch into it, and somehow that protects the egg from. Or I don't know if "protect" is the right word, but it keeps the egg from cooking. Okay. Um, but I don't think that was part of original recipes. That's just something that that one person discovered helped a lot. Hmm, that's so cool. I would wager, in a lot of cases, it's not really a hot, hot drink. It's more warm than hot. Okay. Because you don't want to cook the right, eggs. Yeah. yeah. Just a simmer. Yeah, unless you want to drink some scrambled eggs. That's right, scramble the eggs. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Cocktail historian Wayne Curtis says, It's warm custard in a glass. What's not to like? It's creamy and smooth, tastes great, and it gets you drunk. (laughs) (laughs) The the warm custard part is a little bit of a deal breaker. Like, I don't know. A lot of people like it. 
It's been historically very popular. Well, it must be because people are buying a complete set of dishware that says Tom and yeah. Jerry on it. <laughs> that's like, true. Uh, that's, I mean, I don't know of anybody that buys glasses that just says beer mm-hmm. on it. Yeah, that's you know? true. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Well, let's take a look at the history of the Tom and Jerry and how it came to the U.S. and became popular to that level. The accepted story of the Tom and Jerry cocktail is that in 1821, British journalist Pierce Egan added brandy to eggnog as a signature cocktail to promote his play, which was called Tom and Jerry or Life in London. This play, by the way, was based on his book, which has an even bigger mouthful of a name. The book is called... Uh, Life in London, or the day and night scenes of Jerry Hawthorne Esquire and his elegant friend Corinthian Tom. Oh my goodness. (laughs) Calm down. Did we need all that? Gee whiz. (laughs) I think shortening the play's title was probably a good idea. Oh yeah. It was apparently a very popular play, um, and it came to the U.S. in 1923, which might have also... Um, bolstered the drink, although the drink by that point was already in the U.S. It's said that the drink was originally made for people who went to see the play. Mm. Egan was also the source of saying Tom and Jerrying, which is a phrase that means raucous behavior after drinking. I've Uh, never heard that phrase. I'm not British, though, so... That does sound very British. Oh, little chap is Tom and Jerry. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I was thinking, too. A little bit of the Tom and Jerry. (laughs) Which is, neither of us did a British accent. (laughs) (laughs) I did more like old-timey radio announcer. (laughs) Ah, Tom and Jerrying. (laughs) The drink (laughs) was originally believed to be popular in part because punch bowl drinks were common during the 19th century. Uh, so instead of making individual cocktails, um, cocktails that were mixed up in a big punch bowl and served out that way were more popular. One good example of this is if you read A Christmas Carol, they mention something called a smoking bishop, which is a uh, sort of a cocktail that's a punch bowl drink. Didn't we watch a video on that one? We did. And I wrote down the channel, so if anybody wants to go see it, uh, they can look it up. If you get on YouTube and look up the channel, The Victorian Bar Room, they did a video on making Smoking Bishop. I think it was last Christmas. Um, So if you look up Smoking Bishop on the Victorian Bar Room channel on YouTube, you can see that. I do like the idea of a punch drink or like a bowl drink for a party Mm -hmm. because I think as host, that's a lot less stress. That is like true. Like you're just making one thing mm-hmm. and every this is what everyone gets, deal with it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that is true. Uh, meanwhile, there is somebody who says that they invented the Tom and Jerry instead. Jerry Thomas, oh. a New York bartender, published a Tom and Jerry recipe in How to Mix Drinks or The Bon Vivant's Companion. Nobody could just write a short no. title. <laughs> At that time, his recipe included one dozen eggs and five pounds of sugar. Wow. I just don't think that's healthy. Probably not. Well, you're only going to do that once in your life. Yeah. Like that's yeah. I don't know. I'm living in the Victorian era, so maybe I'm just out to have a good time and not a long <laughs> that's time. True. That's true. That, that would be your sugar intake for half the year. Yeah. So. T- times were not great for most people. So if I want to have five pounds of sugar in my drink, I'm going to. 
if I have access to five pounds of sugar, why not? <laughs> uh, this guy, Jerry Thomas, uh, he says that he invented the drink in 1847 and he named it after himself. However, the story's been widely disputed in favor of the British origin of how it was made to promote the play. It should be noted that the play Tom and Jerry, oh, I already mentioned this, it came to America in 1823, and even though the drink, uh, or I had said 1923 earlier, it's 1823, um, the drink may have already been here, um, but if it wasn't, this definitely brought more attention to it, um, and it may have actually been the thing that brought the drink to popularity in America in general. The drink has waxed and waned over time, and as far as people actually making it goes, in 1906, there was an article in the San Francisco Chronicle titled Hot Drinks Not Popular. In this article, bartender George Mitchell wrote, Half a dozen years ago, hot toddies and Tom and Jerry's, hot whiskeys and other potables of the same description were called for repeatedly. The Tom and Jerry bowl was always in evidence on bars, but now it is a rare sight indeed, except on Christmas or New Year's Day, when there is always a revival of interest in the old drinks and eggnogs, Tom and Jerry's and so forth. But, according to historian Wayne Curtis, the guy that said hot custard is where it's at, <laughs> it's theorized that Tom and Jerry's uh, saw resurgence during Prohibition. So, according to the San Francisco Chronicle article, maybe around the turn of the century, they weren't as popular as they were in the Victorian era, but Prohibition really brought them uh, back to popularity. Curtis theorizes that this is, quote, because it was sweet and would have masked the taste of crappy bootleg liquor. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. I think he's got a point. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he can make that uh, cheap, nasty liquor mm-hmm. palatable. Because, and along the same lines, I don't really like brandy, but I would be willing to try a Tom and Jerry um, because I feel like the sugar and spices and egg and all that that's going into it would sort of uh, overpower, and that would be the flavor more so than the brandy itself. Although I'm sure people during Prohibition would have loved to have had brandy, so I shouldn't <laughs> be complaining, right? There, there are sober children in China. <laughs> Later on, uh, it became popular again in the 50s. The 50s saw a revival in colonial style, and Tom and Jerry's peaked in popularity once again. This is also an explanation for the old-fashioned lettering and illustrations that you'll find on the drink sets. In some cases, this makes sense. I've seen some Tom and Jerry punch bowls uh, where they use... It looks sort of like a florid colonial-era script... But most of the bowls I've seen have old English lettering, so I don't know how that really fits into the colonial revival. Hmm. But it must have been popular for whatever reason stylistically because it was in this era that you see these drink sets come out. Um, And if you've never had a Tom and Jerry cocktail, chances are if you like to buy vintage things that you have seen the drink sets. The drink sets contain a punch bowl and matching mugs with Tom and Jerry written on each. Typically, this is an old English font. Uh, Sometimes it's more of that script, uh, as I described. And there will be little illustrations, um, and those are usually 
Christmas related and often in red and green. I think the most popular I've seen is it's a white bowl and white mugs. Um, and then the lettering and illustrations are in red and green and they sort of have a Christmas. I mean, the, the chokehold this drink had on people to have like so many drink sets. Yes. <laughs> labeled Tom and Jerry. Like, no, this is what you get when you have your Tom and Jerry. This just isn't a regular punch yes. bowl and, and cups. I have a theory that because it was a warm drink, it became associated with Christmas. And so that's why you have the drink sets, because it is a Christmas traditional thing. It's not... You're doing that during that season. Yes. Yeah. Like nobody would say, you have a tree just for Christmas and ornaments <laughs> just for that Christmas tree. Um, it's kind of like that with the Tom and Jerry drink sets. It's this thing you bring out at Christmas time for this traditional drink. The more well-known sets of Tom and Jerry drinkware were produced by Hazel Atlas and McKee Glass, and they were popular from the 1940s through the 1960s. However, the punch bowls predate this era. Um, there are some collectors who have found pieces back into the 19th century, uh, and as we mentioned earlier, um, there, there are mentions of not just punch bowl drinks, but a Tom and Jerry punch bowl in the 19th century huh. as well. Um, other countries also made Tom and Jerry drink sets. Wow. The best one that I've seen are the globes. So th the most common are just typical punch bowls that are decorated. But some Tom and Jerry punch bowls are more globe shaped. And those are traveling bowls. Oh, cool. So that you can make your Tom and Jerry and then carry it to another place. Mm. I've never seen one of those in person. I've just seen them online. If we see one, we're getting it. Yes, we are. <laughs> well, I've already picked out my Tom and Jerry bowl. Oh. <laughs> I don't own one yet. But uh, Fire King, if you have ever seen Fire King's Peach Luster drinkware, uh, I can't describe it any better than that. It's peach, it's lustrous, it's sort of iridescent. There is a peach luster Tom and Jerry set. And I have found it. Oh. And any day now, my resolve is going to weaken and I'm going to buy it, even though I don't have a place to store <laughs> a punch bowl. And this one, I don't know how many glasses they originally came with, but the one I found online comes with 13 mugs. Oh my goodness. Wow. I don't know where I'm going to put it. We'll uh, find a place. Yeah, thank you. You're an enabler. <laughs> you need it. We'll Thanks, find Wendy. a place. You're welcome. But that's my chosen one. The globes are really cool, though. Uh, the first reference, by the way, of a Tom and Jerry bowl was on February 6th, 1864 in the New York Times in a piece describing a fatal bar fight. It reads... When deceased ran and jumped over the bar, as he went over, he struck a Tom and Jerry bowl and fell. Oh, wow. I hope the bowl's okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure he's fine, but what I'm about sure the bowl? I'm sure he's fine, but what about the bowl? Oh, well, my I mean, gosh. Did it say deceased when deceased? Yes. <laughs> I don't think he's fine. I don't think he made it. <laughs> I don't think he's fine then. But maybe at least the bowl made it. Yeah. Who knows? I don't know. Um, it does not say. <laughs> Uh, if you are listening and you live in the Midwest, uh, particularly Wisconsin, you are probably already very familiar with the Tom and Jerry. Uh, and you don't you may not realize how uh, 
unique that is that most of the country, even though Tom and Jerry's were very popular at one time, now they're really relegated to the Midwest and Wisconsin in particular. No one knows why the drink caught on in the Midwest, but in a book on Wisconsin taverns, writer Jim Drager guesses that it has to do with the popularity of both brandy and dairy products Mm. in the region. And of course, hot drinks are likely always welcome during cold winters, and the Midwest gets very bitter cold winters. Makes sense. When asked why Wisconsin loves the Tom and Jerry cocktail historian Wayne Curtis, the one that said hot custard's great. That's just, in my mind, what he's going to always be is the hot custard <laughs> he's, dude. He's got that on a bumper sticker. Yes. <laughs> he said, I don't know, but then I was never able to figure out why brandy old fashions are big in Wisconsin. I guess you guys just have your own way of doing things. Wisconsin actually has two Tom and Jerry mix manufacturers, so you don't have to make your own. Um, Well, they give you the mix, which is essentially the batter that I described at the beginning of the episode. So it would be the eggs, the sugar, the spices, but then you would add what you want to it. Their two manufacturers are Cedar Crest Ice Cream and in Manitowoc, who makes Mrs. Bowen's Tom and Jerry mix. And Steve Noss in Superior, who makes Connolly's Tom and Jerry batter. I think that'd be a little easier if you had the mix. Uh, uh, go ahead. I also feel like this is, you know how like for it to be bourbon, it has to be made in Kentucky. <laughs> for it to yes. be authentic Tom and Jerry's, it has to come out of Minnesota. Yeah. That like would be funny because <laughs> it's not even an American drink, really. <laughs> but like we've owned it. Like yeah, we've we now have taken, taken it. It's like. Oh, no, it's got to come from Minnesota. <laughs> yeah, we, we have adopted the Tom and Jerry. Um, both are produced in October and sold during the holidays. So you're not going to find uh, a lot of people that have Tom and Jerry's at a different time of year. This is a winter thing and more specifically a holidays kind of drink. Cedar Crest ice cream president Ken Cowley, I hope I'm saying your name right, said... Typically, it's served warm. Weather plays a big factor in our sales. When it's cold out and snowing, people like a warm drink. Steve Noss, who owns Connolly's Tom and Jerry Mix, says, It's just something that you have, like lutefisk and lefsy, which are, by the way, dried fish and potato flatbread. Mm. <laughs> so you, you got your dried fish. You got your potato flatbread. Now you got to have your Tom and Jerry. <laughs> I hope that's not something they have all together. Yeah, I don't think any of that appeals to me. No. Uh, He went on to say, after the Thanksgiving meal, you have a Tom and Jerry. Then you're like, oh, yeah, let's have another one. Then later it's like, oh, is there still some left in the freezer? Let's have another one. Steve Noss might have a problem. (laughs) (laughs) He might need a program. Noss makes 2,100 cases of Connolly's Tom and Jerry mix every season. And each case has six... 16-ounce containers. Hmm. Cedar Crest makes around 70,000 containers of mix each year. So big business in Wisconsin and the surrounding states. Uh, While researching Tom and Jerry's, I came across a short story. Journalist Damon Runyon, uh, who you might know as the writer whose short stories became the musical Guys and Dolls, He wrote a story called Dancing Dan's Christmas. As far as I could tell, it was first published in Collier's in 1932, um, but it was uh, re-ran, republished 
in Esquire in 1947, and it was included in a collection of his stories called Runyon on Broadway in 1950. Um, but it was written in 1932, which is important to know because it deals a little bit with prohibition, um, which hadn't been repealed. I think prohibition was repealed in 1933. Um so he features Tom and Jerry's in the beginning very prominently. And it does kind of show up throughout the story in such a way that you can't read the story and not want to make one and have a drink. <laughs> um, I wanted to originally do an episode that was just me reading the story so that people could hear the story. But uh, I believe it's still under copyright. Oh, yeah. He passed away in the 40s. Um and typically, if I'm getting this right, it's 70 years after the death of the author. Mm -hmm. But uh, I checked the government website, and I think that they re-upped the copy. Somebody re-upped the copyright in, like, the 90s. So, hmm. sorry, you don't get to hear the whole story. But I am going to read part of it, because I'm tricksy like that. There you go. I'm going to read the beginning to you that talks about Tom and Jerry. Now, one time it comes on Christmas, and in fact, it is the evening before Christmas, and I am in good time Charlie Bernstein's little speakeasy in West 47th Street, wishing Charlie a Merry Christmas and having a few hot Tom and Jerry's with him. This hot Tom and Jerry is an old-time drink that is once used by one and all in this country to celebrate Christmas with, and in fact, it is once so popular that many people think Christmas is invented— only to furnish an excuse for hot Tom and Jerry. Although, of course, this is by no means true. But anybody will tell you that there is nothing that brings out the true holiday spirit like hot Tom and Jerry. And I hear that since Tom and Jerry goes out of style in the United States, the holiday spirit is never quite the same. The reason hot Tom and Jerry goes out of style is because it is necessary to use rum, and one thing and another in making Tom and Jerry... And naturally, when rum becomes illegal in this country, Tom and Jerry is also against the law, because rum is something that is very hard to get around town these days. For a while, some people try making Tom and Jerry without putting rum in it. But somehow, it never has the same old holiday spirit, so nearly everybody finally gives up in disgust. And this is not surprising, as making Tom and Jerry is by no means child's play. In fact, it takes quite an expert to make good Tom and Jerry, and in the days when it is not illegal, a good hot Tom and Jerry makes commands good maker commands good wages and many friends. Now, of course, good time Charlie and I are not using rum in the Tom and Jerry we're making, as we do not wish to do anything illegal. What we are using is rye whiskey <laughs> that good time Charlie gets on a doctor's prescription from a drugstore. As we are personally drinking this hot Tom and Jerry, and naturally, we are not foolish enough to use any of good time Charlie's own rye in it. The prescription for the rye whiskey comes from old Doc Moggs, who prescribes it for good time Charlie's rheumatism, in case Charlie happens to get rheumatism. As Doc Moggs says, there is nothing better for rheumatism than rye whiskey, especially if it is made up in a hot Tom and Jerry. In fact, old Doc Moggs comes around and has a few sidles of hot Tom and Jerry with us for his own rheumatism. He comes around during the afternoon for good time Charlie and I have started making this Tom and Jerry early in the day so as to be sure to have enough to last us over Christmas and it is now along towards six o'clock and our holiday spirit is practically 100%. <laughs> so 
I bet he gets rheumatism a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he needs lots of whiskey for First that rheumatism. Of all, you can get a prescription for this whiskey. That that's mind blowing. <laughs> and then we're not going to use this liquor, but we're going to use this liquor, and that's okay because you can get a prescription you for it. Get yeah, by prescription. Yeah. Oh, I don't know. That's a lot. That's a lot to take in. Prohibition was an interesting yeah. time. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it really stopped a lot of anything. Honestly, no, I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think so. Yeah, and apparently it spiked, as we mentioned earlier, it really spiked the popularity of Tom and Jerry's because all of the flavors masked bad liquor. Right, yeah. So if you had some really bad uh, bootleg liquor that you didn't really want to taste, you could put it in something like a Tom and Jerry. So if anything, it made certain drinks more popular. There you go. Yeah. I really... uh, I cannot recommend the story enough. It doesn't take a long time to read. It's not a huge story. Uh, And it's kind of, I would say it's naughty, but nice. Hmm. The characters in it do some bad things, but then they do something nice with it. There's a couple of good twists. Um, If you search Dancing Dan's Christmas full text, you'll find a link uh, to it. I also put the link in our description under the list of sources. Uh, so I think that is a really good story mm. uh, in whole. But the first part, they mentioned Tom and Jerry's throughout, but I really like that first part because it talks a lot about uh, what they put into it and how it was so much of a staple to oh, them. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so if you're listening, especially if you're in Wisconsin uh, and you have Tom and Jerry's every year, uh, I would really love it if you would get on Instagram and share some of your recipes with us. Uh, or if you use the batter, tell us what the pre-made batter is mm-hmm. like. And especially if you have pictures of bowls, I want to <laughs> see all the bowls. All the bowls, <laughs> all the variations. So get on there and share those with us as well. That's all for us today. Thanks for listening. Please help us grow by giving us a five-star rating on your listening platform and follow us on Instagram by searching for hypnog.history or by clicking the link in the episode description. Until next time, listeners, peace and love.